get in the Word for just a little bit. So open up again with your Bible to John 10. We're in the middle of this series in the weeks leading up to spring break on the different I Am statements in John, the Gospel of John. We've already looked at several of those. We were in John 10 last week um, thinking about the fact that in the early verses, twice in the early verses of that chapter, uh, Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheep. <clears throat> he said that in verse 7 and then also in verse uh, 9. He said, I'm the door. Um, we spent a, a little bit of, of time talking about that, but uh, I did note when we were talking about I'm the door of the sheep that uh, that those two phrases are really part of this larger passage where, where um, Jesus is also saying what we're going to think about tonight, and that is that he is the good shepherd. I'm the door of the sheep. This idea, this, the sheep and the shepherd, that's all part of this whole big story in John 10. He'll make that statement, I'm the good shepherd, first in verse 11, and then again in verse 14. I'm, so, I'm, I'm just excited to talk about this tonight. This is, one of my favorite, this is one of my favorite chapters in John's gospel. It's, um, it's one of the sweetest and most encouraging um, of all the, the I am statements. It's just, in terms of assuring us of God's love for us, in terms of his faithfulness to us, in terms of our safety, <laughs> for lack of a better term, our safety and our assurance. Um, I mean, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful passage to think on for a, a while. I am the good shepherd I, jesus said i'm the good shepherd uh, and jesus is referred to like this in a couple of other places in the in the new testament uh, for example at the end of the book of hebrews we read hebrews 13 20 say now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead our lord jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a cool verse. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. It's not up to you. God is doing his good work in you. Or 1 Peter 5, where Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the New Testament writers later in uh, the New Testament, wanted to, when they wanted to describe Jesus, they went to this sort of imagery that he is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Um, which just goes to show you um, that what Jesus says here in John 10 is significant when he says, I'm the good shepherd. Let's actually read what he says in the whole context of the passage, and then we'll dive in and, and, and think about it. So um, we're in John 10, and we'll think beginning in verse 1, uh, read through verse 30. It's not quite the whole chapter. It's a good part of it, though. So if you found that place, let's begin reading John 10, verses 1 through 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter, by the, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. It leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. 
the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, them being um, the Pharisees and the religious leaders from chapter 9. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to, take, to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Again, that's from the last chapter. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for this, 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 um, I just, Lord, just deeply, deeply grounding word. Um, this is your holy word. This is your, it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative, it's clear, it's, uh, it's necessary, it is sufficient for all that we have to believe and all that we ever have to do. And I uh, pray that you give us eyes to see the truth that's here. Give us minds to understand it. Give us hearts to embrace it and love it. Give us wills to obey whatever it leads us to do. Give me help that I need to teach and teach clearly. Give us all ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's, get the, the, let's be clear on the cast of characters in this story. Just at the outset. Who all is being talked about here? Well, first of all, you have this group that is called by various names. In verse 5, they're called strangers. A stranger they will not follow, he says in verse 5. Strangers. Uh, in verse 1, and then again in verse 8, you have these thieves and robbers. 
man who climbs up in another way, that man's a thief and a robber. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. In verses 12 and 13, you've got these guys called hired hands. They, they run off when they see a wolf. And, and so those aren't three different groups of people. Those three ways of talking about the same group of people. Uh, who? They are the Pharisees and the, the other religious leaders from chapter 9. Because remember, we, we were in this passage last week and we noted that there's no break. There's a, yeah, there's a big fat 10 in your Bible showing you this is now chapter 10. But there's no break in the conversation. Like it, it's an unfortunate chapter break because if it was gone, it just wasn't there. If those numbers weren't there, you'd think, well, this is all the same story because it is. So it's still talking about the things that happened carrying over from the things that happened in chapter 9. Namely, um, Jesus is still coming down hard on the religious leaders who had just kicked out of the synagogue. This man, who, this blind man, formerly blind man, that Jesus had now healed. Um, and we looked at some of that background last week about... Uh, from Exodus, Exodus, Ezekiel 34, where it was prophesied way back in Ezekiel's day that um, these religious leaders were supposed to be the shepherds of the people, but they were corrupt, they were spiritually blind. Um, and the whole irony of that, of that whole thing in chapter 9 was that while this man in, who was healed, this man was physically blind and spiritually blind, Jesus made him to see in both senses. You know, but the Pharisees, they could see with their physical eyes, but were spiritually blind. So the blind, blind man came away with more sight than they had. That's, that's the irony. So you have that as one group of characters, these strangers, thieves, robbers, hired hands. But then, of course, you have the sheep. Sheep, sheep is mentioned 13 times in, um, the lights just went out. Um, you can leave them out. Um, 13 times in this passage. Uh, but you, they're referred to even more than that by other, by other phrases. The sheep are those who know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, like the formerly blind man who said in chapter 9, verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Clearly the main character in this story is the shepherd himself. Um, and clearly that is Jesus who is front and center of this story. So he's going to receive the most attention tonight. And, the, and to think through it, I want us to answer a, and try to see how Scripture answers two basic questions. So Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, well, first, the first question I want us to ask and answer, who is the shepherd? And that requires more than the simple Sunday school answer. Jesus, that's true. There's more to say. Who is the shepherd in the, in the good shepherd? And secondly, how is he good? What's so good about the good shepherd, according to this passage? So I'm thinking about, we're thinking about the good, I'm the good shepherd. Who is the shepherd and how is he good? And how does this passage and the rest of Scripture answer that? So let's think about it. So think first about who is the shepherd. Well, obviously, we've already pointed out that it's Jesus. Um, and out of his own mouth, he says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd. And clearly, that's but what Hebrews and First Peter meant by uh, great shepherd and chief shepherd is it's Jesus um, but clearly there's more to it than that otherwise he would have simply said I'm Jesus instead of I'm the good shepherd um, and there's there's more significance in saying I'm the good shepherd and it tells us more specifically of who Jesus is um, which we've seen over and over again 
but that's the point. Uh, Jesus kept telling us in vivid ways who he is, which is why their stupid question in verse 24 is so blind. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. He's been telling you over and over again. Uh, he's, you know, he's going to keep doing it too. Um, but what does this image of being the good shepherd tell us about who Jesus is? Um, well, if you've been here, uh, you won't be surprised to know that it's him first and foremost claiming his own deity. Like he's saying, I'm God. Um, we've seen that really repeatedly in the mere fact that he said he calls himself I am over and over again which is the Old Testament name by which God revealed himself to Moses first at the burning bush and over and over again thereafter but there's more to it than that it's not just I am but calling himself the good shepherd shepherd is uh, is claiming his deity how? because throughout the Old Testament I cannot, I cannot emphasize to you enough. Read your Old Testament. Read it. Read it. Know it. Like If you come on Sunday morning, we're in Hebrews. It feels like we're in the deep end of the pool because we are. And part of the reason it feels like we're in the deep end of the pool is because we don't know our Old Testaments. Like Read it. Read it. Read it. Read it. It's like the bulk of your Bible is the, is the Old Testament. Read it. But throughout the Old Testament, God himself is described as the shepherd of his people over and over again. One example is Isaiah 40, verses 10 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with the young. So the Lord... God will tend his flock. God is the shepherd, the Lord God, and that's the covenant name there in that passage. But put it to you. What, it, can you think of what is probably the, the most well-known Old Testament passage about God being the shepherd? What? Somebody say it. Come on. Yes! Psalm 23. Hold your place here and just turn back there. Psalm 23. This is, this is why it's so important to read your Old Testament so that when, when you're reading something like John 10 and, 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 and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, these old, different Old Testament texts just flood your mind. And you just automatically, almost instinctively make these connections. But in Psalm 23, let's just read it. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the Lord, if you're looking at your Bible, uh, both times, it, it, it begins and ends with the Lord, 
there in verse 1, and then again at the end of verse 6. Do you notice in your English Bible how the word Lord there is in like small caps? Uh, yeah, it's not just normal lowercase letters. It's capital L and then small caps, O-R-D. If you don't know this already, some of you do, but anytime you see that in your Old Testament, when it's Lord in small caps like that, uh, that is telling you that that is the covenant name of God behind that in Hebrew, Yahweh, which is the same name in Exodus 3, I am who I am. Anytime you see Lord in lower, normal lowercase, that's just Adonai, that's Lord. But in small caps, it's his covenant name, and that's what it is here. His covenant name both begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 6, uh, this this psalm and this the Lord, this covenant God, the, the God of all creation, uh, is the shepherd. While you're, in, while you're in Psalms, by the way, flip over to Psalm 80 before we go back to John. Flip over to Psalm 80. You should read a handful of Psalms every day, by the way. Just read four or five Psalms every day. If you read, by the way, if you read like five Psalms a day, you read the whole book every month. So go ahead and do that. That's a, good, that's a good idea. Psalm 80. Two in the morning, one at lunch, two at night. It's a good idea. All right, Psalm 80. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might, and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will we be angry with your, with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make, of, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies. Laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So you see there in verse 1, O shepherd of Israel, who is that? Who is this shepherd of Israel? Well, it says he's enthroned upon the cherubim. That gives you one big hint. But he's in verse 4, he's literally called, O Lord God of hosts. And Lord there, small caps, covenant name. And by the way, we'll be coming back to this psalm in a couple of weeks. Why? Because look at verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt and drove, it, drove out the nations and planted it. Jesus said in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. That will be our, one of our last I am statements. And you can think, be thinking about that connection until then. But we'll go back to John 10. We'll go back to regularly scheduled programming. In, um, but in looking back at those Psalms, you can see how they're, and, and in Isaiah, you can see how there's a deeply ingrained understanding um, in the Old Testament that God Himself was the shepherd of His people. We didn't, we didn't look at Psalm 95, but Psalm 95 famously says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. So if we're the sheep of his hand and the people of his pasture, what is he? He's the shepherd, right? And who is the shepherd? The Lord, our maker. 
And then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the good shepherd. That's me. Clearly claiming to be God himself. And that would be said in even more unmistakable terms when later in the chapter in verse 30 he says, I and the Father are one. He's clearly claiming to be God. He possesses the same deity as the Father because he's the same God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share the same glory because it is the same glory. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. But in calling himself the good shepherd, like he is immediately calling calling your attention back to the Old Testament where God is the shepherd and now he's the shepherd. He is God. That's why their, their question, verse 24, was so idiotic. They should have known. But in, in saying, I'm the good shepherd, he's not just saying, hey, I'm God. He's also saying, he's God with us in human flesh. Like, remember back in Ezekiel 34, we read the whole chapter last week, when after, after chastising the earthly religious leaders, God says through Ezekiel in that chapter, he says in Ezekiel 34, 23, and I will set up over, over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. I will set up my servant David. Well, David was long dead. Literal King David. Father was Jesse, son was Solomon and others. That David, dead in the ground. Right? Not, not breathing. So it's not him. It's not literally him that's going to be the shepherd. But God had already promised David when David was alive that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 89. And one who, this one that would also sit on his throne forever would also be a shepherd, a king and a shepherd, just like David was. A king and a shepherd. And by the way, there's a steady stream. Old Testament. There's a, there's a steady stream in your Old Testament of, of, of important men who just happen to be shepherds. Pointing you forward to this better shepherd that's coming. I mean, Abel was a shepherd. You ever thought about that? Abel was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Joseph was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. And then David was a shepherd. Like leading us to this, this greater shepherd to come in Jesus. Why are these two things important to know about Jesus? That, that he is... That, that, that shepherd reveals that he is both God and man. Why is that important to know? Because if he doesn't have those two natures, if he doesn't have those two natures, both God and man, then he can't be our Savior or anyone's. He must be man in order to take our place. He must be God to be able to bear the punishment for our sins and to bear it in a moment rather than for an eternity. You think about that? If, I mean, if I die for my own sins and I go to hell for my own sins, how long do I go? For eternity. Because, because I've, I've spent a lifelong sinning against an infinite God. And the punishment is, is commensurate. If I go up to you, if I have a toy gun, and I go up to you and go bang, 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 you're like, get out of my face. That's annoying. If I go to the President of the United States, do that. Same thing. I'm getting arrested. 
Because it matters. The status of the one that you offend matters. And the punishment is... So you sin against me, that matters. Sin against infinite God. The punishment is infinite. So if I go, it takes me an eternity. But if infinite God comes and takes on human flesh, He can bear in a moment what it would take me an eternity to pay. And He didn't, and so, so therefore He did not hit pause on God, being God to become man. He, 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 didn't, he didn't let go of being God to become man for a minute. He, no, he, he took on human flesh. He didn't, he didn't relinquish anything. He took on something else. And in saying, I am the good shepherd, he is reminding us that he is both God and man. He is God with us, as us, for us. That's what he's that's to save us. That's that's what he's saying in that one phrase. So that's who the shepherd is. God and man come to save. But it leads us to the second question I want to say a word and that is about and that's how is he good? He's he didn't say I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. Which would have been true enough. He said I'm the good shepherd. This is where it gets good because he really is good. We're going to look closer at this John 10 text to see this one. And, uh, and, and also flesh out more why shepherd was the chosen image. Both Old Testament here. In essence, we're asking the, the, about this passage, how is he good? You know, it's essentially, what does he do as our shepherd that is so good? Answer that and you'll see how good he is. The beauty, the beauty of John 10 I mean, they, they didn't get it. But the beauty of John 10 is, is that it's just so straightforward. Like, it's just, it's, so, it's not hard. It's not complicated to figure out what he's saying. It is so simple, but it's so profound. There are four basic things that, uh, that I want to point out about Jesus as the Good Shepherd. It's, and it's not rocket science. But they're just beautiful. And the first is he knows the sheep. This one is so dang encouraging. He knows his sheep. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. That's verse 14. But he had already said, Back in verse 3, which we'll look at again in a second. For the second point. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep, his own sheep, by name. Leads them out. I want to focus right there on that. By name. Man, just, just, just marinate in that one. He doesn't just know his people generically he knows you by name good gosh in fact it goes further look at what he says in verse 16 i have other sheep that are not of this fold I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Just like Ezekiel 34 said, one flock, one shepherd. 
But the sheep are not yet in the fold. But He already knows them. They're not even in the fold yet. And He knows them. And He doesn't... He doesn't just know you by name. He knew you before you knew Him. We sing it in that old hymn. Victory in Jesus. He loved me ere I knew Him. He loved me ere, you know. He loved... A, it's kind of hokey. B, the, the tune. Don't tell Adam I said that. Dang, it's being recorded. Um, <laughs> but it also, we don't ever use the word air. E-R-E. Air. I better go to bed. Air, I get tireder. I, we don't ever... It means before. It's an old word for before. So that's literally saying he loved me before I knew him. Like that, that's exactly what that's saying. To show you another way that, that is played out in the Bible. That, that's Jesus saying, there are other sheep. They're not here yet. I know them. They'll come. Hold your place there and, and flip over to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. This is pretty sweet. Acts 18. This is Paul, the apostle uh, in Corinth, in the planting the church in Corinth, and he would later write those letters to. Okay, beginning in verse 1. After this, we'll read through verse 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, that's the Roman emperor, had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, and, and he, st- he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he, re- he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. So they, uh, they didn't accept the gospel. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. These are the little details that just let you know the Bible's true. Like, why? Oh, he was next door neighbors with so-and-so. Like, who would add that? Anyway, verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And one night, the Lord said to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. For two reasons he's going to give. I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For I I have many in this city who are my people. Now, don't run by that too quickly. It says, and he stayed a year, a year, another year and a half preaching and teaching the word of God among them. Don't go, don't leave just yet, Paul. Because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to protect you that nobody will, 
will attack you, but I need you to go on preaching because I have many people, I have many in this city who are my people. That's not like keep on preaching because they're already saved. That's keep on preaching because it's what Jesus said. There are sheep here who are not yet in the fold. They are His people. And there are people there that God that will believe if He will go on preaching, which is why He stayed for another year and a half preaching and teaching. He knows you before you are even His. And He calls you by name. Think on that truth. I mean, just think, of, think deeply about you. Just think deeply about you. Like really, you. Like only you know you. Think about your sins. Think about your struggles. Think about your weaknesses. I mean, for crying out loud, what are sheep prone to do? Wander. Jesus knows that. He knows you. He knows what you have already forgotten about you. He knows. And let's be honest, that He knows me like that would be a terrifying thing if not for the other truths about the shepherd as our good shepherd. Like the second truth, He calls His sheep. He doesn't just know His sheep. He calls His sheep. And it's an effectual call. You can go back to John 10. It's an effectual call. Look again at verse 3. To Him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear His voice. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. This, this one that he knows so intimately, he calls that one. And those that he calls as a shepherd, they always come. Look again at verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I must bring them, must. They will listen to my voice. They will be one flock. Always effectual. That's the whole reason we pray. If God can't do that or doesn't do that, is praying just getting it off your chest? No. We pray for God to save people precisely because we know He does that. He calls and people come. I mean, if you want to, people might say, well, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know if God just does like that. Well, you find out what people really believe when they pray. That's exactly how we pray. He, call, he calls us with full knowledge of us. He, he would call no one if he only waited for good candidates to call. Because there are none. Combine those first two truths about Christ. 
our, our shepherd, that with full knowledge of you, he calls you by name. Man. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you've done that. And you're still so aware of your sins and your shortcomings. Jesus tells you these things about Himself so that you know, you know that He knows these things about you. And He called you anyway. Man, oh man. There's a third truth. Good shepherd, he provides for his sheep. And it's not just in the daily bread sense, but in the eternal life sense. Look at, look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says in verse 18, no one takes it from me. He said in verse 17, lay down my life, take it up again. No one takes it from me, lay it down of my own accord. Knowing you, he laid down his life for you so that you could have abundant life in him. That's verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep on the heels of saying, thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, and so that you may have abundant life, I lay down my life for you. Every, every sin and shortcoming that you know of yourself or ever will discover about yourself, Jesus already knows and already gave his life for it in full knowledge of it. So that you would not only have eternal life, but abundant life. Life that is still not weighed down with guilt or with worry or with addiction, or, but only freedom and joy. Freedom and joy. That's, that's what the angel said when the angel came to the shepherds, oddly enough, in the field to announce Jesus' coming. Here's what they said about the, the coming of Christ. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. That's abundant life. That's abundant life knowing He knows us, knows you, knows me, gave His life for us and still calls us to come to Him. It's a great joy. And His desire is to push away every fear. Would we hide our sins? When we hide our sins, we know our sins, we hide them. Are we really good at hiding them from each other, but we also hide them from God? Yeah, that's a heavy grief. It's a heavy grief. It's a heavy load. The psalmist said in Psalm 32, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My bones wasted away. Then he said, I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave. You forgave my, the iniquity of my sin. The Lord knows already. When we hide, when we hide it, that's that. When you hide it from the Lord, you're not hiding it. It's simply rebellion. When I, when I do it, it's simply rebellion. And knowing us, He already laid down His life for us so that we could come humbly and freely and know that, the, that He has forgiven the iniquity of our sin. 
That's the word of the Lord. But finally, he protects his sheep. That's what he means in verse 4 when he says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Think of that. Think of that imagery there. He goes before them. He goes before you. You are the them. I mean, if you're trusting in Christ, the them are the sheep. If you're trusting in Christ, you're a sheep. He goes before you. He goes before you. What does that mean? Well, he tells us what it means in verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd and does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep, to which he says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. We are his own. He goes, he goes before us and does not leave us to the wolves. He goes before us to protect us. Just every one of these truths that I'm getting, I'm hitting the high spots of the road. I just wish you would go home and meditate on the fact and just think, think hard. Put your dadgum phone down and think. He knows me. He knows me. He knows what I don't even know about myself. He knows me. He knows me. And he still called me. He laid down his life for me. He goes before me to protect me. That is, to protect, just think about that truth in your life because the reality of this one, He protects you. He goes before you. The reality of that is, is that He does that most often in our lives and we don't even notice it. It's just true because He said it's true. We don't even notice it. We just avoid the danger not even realizing we ever were in danger. Right? It's like, it's like I'm turned around this way at a baseball game and somebody hits a foul ball and it goes zipping right by my head. And they're like, wow, you just almost got hit in the head. I didn't even know. I didn't even jump out of the way because I wasn't even looking. That's like our whole life goes before us. And he'll protect us to the very end of our lives. It says that in verses 28 through 30. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. No, no matter how much time passes, no matter how much water is under the bridge, no matter how many hills and valleys, He never leaves you. And will ensure that you never leave Him. 